Thank you for listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present an encore presentation of Carmelite Conversations. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. This is Mark Dennis, your host, and my co-host Francis Harris in the studio with me again this evening. How are you, Francis? I'm doing great. So joyful to be back with you. <laughs> Well, it is great to be back because we're focusing on a saint, uh, a wonderful saint in Carmel, who in fairness is probably not well known, uh, maybe outside of the Carmelite communities and even within the Carmelite communities. I know I've had a number of people uh, express to me over the last couple of weeks as we've been doing this series that uh, they've been learning a great deal about our saint, Teresa of the Andes. Uh, just a remarkable young woman, and I mean young, of course, someone who died before the age of 20, but made quite an impression um, on the church in in that short life. And she's the first discalced Carmelite that has been canonized outside of Europe. Right. She was uh, uh, canonized, of course, by John Paul II. And uh, She's from Chile. Chile, and it was uh, important, I think, uh, for him to acknowledge the um, holiness of this young woman, not not to in any way diminish the significance of her life, but important for him to acknowledge um, a um, a saint within uh, South America. I think that was important for him uh, to begin to show uh, the diversity of the models of sainthood and holiness, and she certainly was that. I think that was God's plan all along. <laughs> I suspect it was. John Paul, having been in concert with God, and in uh, in concert, I mean, in terms of wills, uh, certainly would have known that. Well, in um, in this particular program, I do want to focus um, on her personal diary, which really, in addition to her letters, represents sort of the corpus of her work, and and I think reveals the most about her interior life. We've studied her biographical sketches, Francis, for the last uh, or the first week. And then we followed up with um, some of the reasoning uh, behind uh, her identification of holiness, her canonization, um, and the impact that she's had on so many um, um, individuals as a result of her intervention and intercession. Uh, But this evening, we really want to focus on her diary and her letters and give ourselves a much more clear picture of her personal and her interior life. But let's begin by seeking our interior life through prayer. And we're going to start with the opening prayer of the proper mass of St. Teresa of the Andes. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. God of mercy, joy of the saints, you set the youthful heart of St. Teresa of the Andes ablaze with the fire of virginal love for Christ and for his church. And even in suffering, You made her a cheerful witness to charity. Through her intercession, fill us with the delights of your Holy Spirit, so that we may proclaim by word and deed the joyful message of your love to the world. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, Francis, I'm going to go ahead and take your suggestion and and to sort of frame the conversation this evening. um, I think we should begin with this list of um, explanations, if you will, defenses as to why we should be looking at this young uh, Chilean Carmelite 
um, and what model of sainthood she presents to us. And then, as you and I discussed just before we came on, um, and we'll sort of march to this agenda, Francis, uh, trying to keep ourselves in check on time, mm-hmm. uh, I would like to get to the resolutions that she made uh, soon after entering Carmel, if I have that right. And um, those, I think, are a great way to sort of capstone our conversation today because they present really uh, the basis for uh, St. Therese of uh, the Andes' ability to maintain uh, her pursuit of holiness. And so they present a wonderful model, I think, for any of our listeners. But let's begin with this uh, brief uh, sort of outline as to why should we focus on this young a Carmelite saint from uh, from Chile. Well, in general, we know that all saints are God's masterpieces, and to discover Saint Teresa of Jesus of the Andes is to discover a new marvel, a new uh, perfection of God through His saints and through His grace. And then, of course, we know um, she lived nearly her entire life in the world, where the greatest part of her sanctification took place, and so. Because of that, she shows us how to sanctify ourselves in our daily activities, um, in her families, in uh, her relationships with others, in school, in vacations, in sports, horseback riding, swimming, in <laughs> um, music. So uh, she had all those activities so we can learn from her on how to sanctify our lives through those. You know, there is an important point, and I, I think we're going to discuss it this evening, if I recall, it's in our notes, and that is how... Much like Elizabeth of the Trinity, she began to live the life of Carmel before she ever entered Carmel. And we should take a a great, um, um, you know, consolation in that for all of us to know that the Lord calls us to some level of discipline, to a rule uh, for those of us who are members of the secular uh, order of Carmel. And and for all of the orders, they have some uh, rule that they live by. But in this um, case, this young woman, uh, already having fallen in love with karma, chose to live by the rule of Carmel before she ever entered Carmel. And so by consequence, she was living this interior life. Now, there are certain limitations, obviously, on any of our schedules and our ability to do that. But she had made the effort, for example, to rise at 530 in the morning. Right. And okay. she would pray from six until seven. Um, she would, um, you know, follow the the requirement for daily attendance at Mass. She would do frequent uh, reconciliation, confession. She maintained a journal, which we're going to read from. The uh, diary. The Mm -hmm. diary. And she um, obviously uh, uh, resorted to uh, meditation every day, right? This was a fundamental requirement. For and her, she actually so. read Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. So, uh, and she refers to her in her letters as being a model of how to live Carmel in the world before entering Carmel. So she uh, states that in her letters, even. Well, you know, she dies at nineteen, and so she is a particularly attractive model of holiness for young people. Uh, because she is a stellar model of how to find joy in loving God. And and, and, and the pursuit of virtue at that young age, which was so important to her. She talks about uh, the need to pursue virtue. Virtue isn't something that happens to us accidentally. We have to work at it. And I think, in, in essence, it was pursuing God. Yeah. You know, He was pursuing her, she's pursuing him back, and therefore... 
you know, God is her joy. In fact, that's the name of the book that we've been reading from, God, the Joy of My Life. And that's put out by the ICS Publications. So she is showing them where true happiness is, where you'll never be disappointed, and that is with God. And then um, she is particularly good at uh, bringing to the fore the thirst for God and her absolute love of God. It's contagious. You go in, you read her diary, you read her letters, you will get excited about God. You can't help it. It's difficult to put down. I agree. I was reading it over the weekend, somewhat uh, challenged because of some time constraints, and I thought, you know what? I don't care. I just want to keep reading this book. I want to keep absorbing what it is that she has to say. She offers this very uh, wonderful picture of a relationship that she both desires and to some extent has uh, acquired in um, in conversation with our Lord. And it's a, it's a marvelous picture. So we, we're going to draw from that heavily. Yeah, she had one of her letters um, to a girlfriend. It was letter 65, which is really a, a good letter to use as a if you were a vocation director for a religious order because she's really uh, bringing out all these questions of why you would want to prefer her God and uh, giving your life to God in the convent. And it's really a beautiful letter. But finally... Um, in her passing, many people found uh, f- found proof of her intercession for them, and so their encounter with her changed their lives, changed their perspective, changed the track that they were on. And so even now, I just recently had Father Daniel Channing, one of our Carmelite friars, tell me how many miracles are being attributed to St. Teresa of Jesus of the Andes and how we should be calling on her because she's very active at this time. So I encourage all of our listeners out there to call on St. Teresa of the Andes to help you in whatever it is you have, and in particularly to experience God's love and his joy. You know, the Holy Spirit brings to the fore, uh, for the benefit of the church, particular saints at particular times with a particular mission. And if we look at the onslaught of our modern culture, uh, the onslaught uh, on our youth uh, of what's happening with our culture, uh, we can understand why the Lord and and through the Holy Spirit would be presenting um, as a wonderful model for us today this young Chilean Carmelite is a saint. And, and for those parents out there who may be struggling with with a uh, uh, disobedient or a difficult child or a child who's going through difficult times, I very much uh, encourage you uh, to learn about this young saint, to plead for her intercession, uh, seek her guidance through her writings on the uh, model that uh, can be presented to our youth, whether, whether uh, the disobedient youth would listen or not. It's the parent's uh, opportunity, I think, to seek her intercession. She's so powerful in that regard. Those who are leading the uh, forefront of the new evangelization, John Paul II called her a, a, a leading a proponent of the new evangelization, the desire to help us reacquire, in fairness, what we in many cases have lost in the church, and this is this appreciation for the intimate relationship with our Lord. And you She's know, she, a great saint she wanted world. everybody to have that intimacy, intimate relationship with the Lord, and so don't you know, in heaven, she is also going to be helping us to do that. So we can call on her to help 
increase our love for God, our relationship with him, to sense his presence, to recognize his hand. And she she was really good in her diary of and even in her letters of pointing out God's attributes. It was his beauty, his truth, his power, his mercy. And she kept talking about it. And she's like, if you only knew Jesus, you couldn't help but love him. If you don't love him, it's probably because you don't know him. So get to know him. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and we get to know him by reading scripture right. uh, and meditating on the scripture. That is one of the best ways to learn him. And, of course, in prayer. Well, I want to... Um get on to uh, some of the writings specifically from her diary. This is her spiritual diary. Um, as I've said, it's very important to understand the writings of the saints because it reveals their interior life, I think, in the most explicit way. And hers is very uh, rich with um, an understanding of the kind of intimacy that we can all experience with the Lord. I do just want to take a moment to encourage our listeners, if you'd like to participate in the conversation with Francis and I, if you have a question, if you have a comment, if St. Teresa of the Andes is a particularly favorite saint of yours, or maybe you're just becoming familiar with her through this program uh, and would like to ask a question or make a comment, we encourage you to call at one 866 333 Six two seven nine. Again, that's one eight six six three 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 six two seven nine. I'd also encourage you to write us if you um, don't want to participate in the open uh, conversation. Uh, feel free to write us at Carmelite. That's with a capital C. Carmelite dot conversations at yahoo dot com. We'd love to hear from you. Well, Francis, I want to go back just quickly and pick up on two points that we were going to talk about in the last program when we ran out of time. That happens to us occasionally, you notice? (laughs) Uh, Well, that's normal for conversations, right? (laughs) It is, that's right. You should always be wanting more. Um, But these are just a couple of inserts from her diary that I wanted to read to you. The first having to do with the relationship um, that we all should aspire to, but she, she lays down a challenge here. Uh, This is from uh, her diary, September 30th, uh, 1919. Uh, I'm sorry, a letter that she wrote. In the measure in which the God-man is known, Jesus, of course, we go on loving him with madness, she says. I would like you to know this so that you may truly fall in love with him. How many of us can say, Francis, in all fairness, that we are experiencing that madness of love for our Lord? And it's okay if we might say, as I would have to confess at this point, Uh, I don't know that I'm yet head over heels, but it's my deficiency, of course, not the Lord's. How can we, she says, how can we not love that Jesus with all our soul? He who is uncreated beauty, he is eternal wisdom, he is goodness, he is life, he is love. There's those divine attributes. Exactly. (laughs) Well, and again, a little bit later on, she writes... uh, Believe me, she says, it is Jesus's passion. Now, she's giving us a wonderful insight here uh, for those who, uh, and I've said this before, you may be beginning uh, to deepen your prayer life or you may be well advanced in your prayer life. It wouldn't matter either way. Focusing on our Lord's passion, focusing on uh, the sacrifice, focusing on his love for us as manifested in his passion is a very powerful tool for building that relationship and that understanding of both what it is that he has done for us and how we should respond. 
St. Teresa of the Andes writes, Believe me, it is Jesus' passion that does the most for my soul. Increases love in me, she says. I see how much my Redeemer suffered, as well as his love of sacrifice and self-forgetfulness. It helps me to be less proud. It excites in me a trust in that divine Savior who suffered so much out of love for me. Trust is what pleases Jesus. This isn't that beautiful. You know, she had a great devotion to the Eucharist and to the Sacred Heart, and both of those inevitably lead to the Passion. And she gets into the Passion so deeply because she stops and she ponders Jesus in the Passion. And if we want to know um, how to love him more deeply and to understand his great love for us in the Passion, we too need to stop and really meditate on it, to ponder it, to put ourselves in the footsteps of that soldier or the apostles that were falling asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane or the Blessed Mother, to be at, with there with the Blessed Mother. Um, you know, well, she, And I want you to pick up on that theme because she does, as do all great Carmelites, she expresses her devotion to the Blessed Mother in, in uh, her writings. Um, and you make a great point, Francis. We begin with, of course, uh, as we've discussed before, those vocal prayers that can take us into the passion and the mental imaging of it. Ultimately, it has to get to the heart. It has to be that, not an emotional experience. This is the the center of our being. We have a, a, a deepness, a, a, an intimacy, a, a compassion, a capacity for love that we're not even aware of. And that's what we're talking about reaching through this focus on our Lord's passion and also our mother's participation in that. Can you well, read? Well, yeah, I'll read that, but I have to point out these two things about her devotion to Mary. First, um, she loved Mary because... Mary had a close relationship with the humanity of Christ as mother. And secondly, because Mary is simply carrying out the Lord's command, um, or she's simply carrying out the Lord's command to take Mary as her mother. So I, I thought, oh, that's so cool that she pointed that out. She's just carrying out God's will, which is what Mary did. And God's will was for us to take Mary as our mother when he gave her to John. Uh, John was representing the people. So, but... In a letter to her father, she writes a little bit more about this suffering mother, Mary, at the foot of the cross. She says, When you are suffering, gaze at your sorrowful mother holding the dead Jesus in her arms. Try to share her pain. There is nothing that compares with it. It is her only son, dead, destroyed by sinners. And at the sight of the bloodied body of your God, and the tears of your mother learn to suffer by being resigned and learn to console the most holy virgin by weeping for your sins. Yeah, she goes on uh, <clears throat> a little bit later, around the age of uh, 13. Uh, she has this experience with the Blessed Mother. Now, in fairness, if you do uh, have the opportunity to read St. Teresa of the Andes, uh, diary or any of her letters, she'll make a number of references to the Lord speaking to her or the Blessed Mother speaking to her. Um, I should be uh, clear that um, these are locutions that she was having. Um, locutions, of course, for those who may not be familiar, it's an interior voice. Uh, it's an understanding. It's an experience of the Lord or perhaps, a, a, in her case, the Blessed Mother or an angel or a saint. Uh, but I can tell you that the experience is far more uh, compelling 
and real than having somebody, as Francis is uh, this evening, sitting across the table talking to you. Um, it, it touches us in a very meaningful way, and so um, I have no doubt, as she shared this with her confessors and spiritual directors, that this was an experience that she had, many, in fact, experiences with both our Lord and with the Blessed Mother. And that's what we're going to relate, because these are the highlights, if you will, of her diary. But she has this experience, Francis, that she writes about, um, I'm looking at page yeah, 192. She, she was uh, she was just getting over this experience of appendicitis, which was just about killed her, you know. And she is um, talking to the Blessed Mother, and she's troubled about something. And she told this to the Virgin and asked her for the conversion of a certain person. And then she says the Blessed Mother answered her. She says, after that, when I called her, the Virgin spoke to me. And once I asked her about a doubt I had, and then a voice answered me. And then she says, but this is not the voice of my mother because she can't be telling me this. And, and so, one, she understands the voice of her mother. She yes. knows it. Yes. But now you're, you're revealing the other half of the story, and that is this voice is duplicated, but something is uttered that is not consistent with what she expected. And so I'll let you go on with the story. Well... Teresa the Andes writes, I called her, and she said that the devil had answered me. And she became fearful, because now she's being taught by the Blessed Mother about discerning, you know, between the voices and, and how to discern these locutions. And um, she told me that whenever I heard the voice, I should ask, are you my mother? And this is what I always do. Every time I wanted to know something, I asked her, and what she told me gave me certainty. So. Yeah, I can't emphasize enough this this need. I was reading um, again today, Francis, you related a story a few weeks ago about a woman who had been involved in the occult mm -hmm. uh, and who had turned to the Blessed Mother. Uh, I read a similar account this morning of a woman who had been involved in witchcraft, and she had this uh, uh, compelling need, she felt, to go back to her roots, which was Catholicism. She felt she was practicing witchcraft and, you know, that it was perfectly appropriate and it was simply a path that she'd chosen. She didn't see it as evil, but she heard this voice continuously, uh, interior voice, to go back to the church. She turned to her Blessed Mother, our Blessed Mother, and within days, this woman's entire life was revealed before her, and through these encounters with the Blessed Mother, she returned to Catholicism. The point of the story is we don't yet fully understand the power of the Blessed Mother in our age. We don't. We don't have a deep enough appreciation. Now, many, of course, of our listeners do, uh, but, but I can't uh, emphasize enough the importance I'd like at some point, Francis, maybe we'll relate our individual experiences with the Blessed Mother in our lives. In my case, I think it's very powerful. I'll start with this. I was born in the month of May. Ah, uh, so, you're blessed. <laughs> <laughs> so that has something to do with it. But uh, I, I just want to make that point. We cannot uh, rely enough on our Blessed Mother. We can't turn enough to her and emphasize this radio station itself is an example of that. Emphasize the importance that she plays, not only in evangelization, but in the intimate relationship that we develop with our Lord. Our Blessed Mother is always in the center of it. She has one other experience I want to just relate quickly uh, before we go to the break, and this is uh, our Lord now reveals to her the goal of sanctity. And she understands the voice to say, I was to attain sanctity by simply doing all things as well as I possibly could. What a simple idea, Francis, but yet so very powerful. Yeah, and the point there, it, was, it wasn't it was the success of whatever she did. It was just her will, being willing 
to put forth the effort. And, you know, maybe not ever seeing the results or, or, or not even being concerned about the results uh, to just uh, know that we are doing what we can for the Lord because we love him out of love for him. Yeah. Uh, Mother Teresa said this so often, you know, the Lord didn't call me to perfection. He didn't call me to success. He didn't demand that I accomplish everything that he laid before me. He only demands that we be faithful in doing what he asks us to do. And basically, it boils down to love. Let's just love. <laughs> and, and in the case of uh, Teresa the Andes, this is true throughout her young life. Every time she had a conflict in her own heart and mind about what direction she may have been receiving, she always turned to a confessor. She always turned to a priest. In this case, uh, this very uh, uh, comment about doing all things as well as she possibly could was later validated by her confessor. He used the exact same words. And so she knew she had been spoken to by the Lord. I want to, when we come back, talk a little bit more about this uh, very difficult experience she went through as a young girl where she had the appendicitis and the operation, because that led to uh, so many other uh, uh, critical events, I think, in her life and deepening her understanding and her faith in the Lord. And we'll do that as soon as we come back. And a reminder, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Jesus. Your presence has been so sweet today. That's really why we gather here every week. Because there has been a fresh oasis of the river of God by your grace that has been poured out. Not one of us wants to stay where we're at, though. We want so much more. We want life-transforming glory. holding on to you, Lord, for the new thing.
listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you're currently listening to is a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. I, I want to remind our listeners again, just quickly, if you'd like to participate in the conversation with Francis and I, please feel free to give us a call at one 866 333-6279. We'd love to hear from you. Well, Francis, let's um, let's go back. You mentioned it, but I want to cover a little more of the ground. This appendicitis operation she had at the age of, remind me. She's it was 14. 14. Yeah, it was about the year 1914, and she was born in the year 1900. So we assume she's around 14 years of old, of age. And, you know, she thought she was going to die. And, you know, when people think they're going to die, something changes in your psyche. You you approach life differently because now you're seeing the um, trivialities of life <laughs> and you're seeing what really matters. And so Teresa the Andes has this experience. Um, now, the reason why she's a little bit more familiar with this is that she had an aunt who at the age of 12 also um, was near death. Um, she was, I think, died from diphtheria, which Teresa the Andes also had and was real bad and thought she wouldn't make it through that. But her aunt dies and uh, was a very saintly child herself. And, um, you know, she used to do penance, like put stones in her shoes, you know, and everything. Many, many things that she would do, but, you know, when her aunt died at age 12, she took her crucifix and said, doctors, now do to me what you want, because she had Jesus with her. Well, here we have Teresa the Andes. She's getting ready to go to the operating room, not knowing if she's going to come out. She takes the statue of the the Blessed Mother, embraces her crucifix, kisses them, and says, soon I'll contemplate you face to face farewell and so they put all these relics on her and they got the stretcher and they have to carry her from one place uh quite a distance to another place and you know before she receives the chloroform uh, she kisses her medal and she places herself in the heart of jesus and bids farewell to the world she's she's ready to go yeah and that that is amazing for i mean can you imagine being 14 and being so prepared for death so um she was uh, kind of surprised when she woke up from all of that. But, of course, that changes her perspective. Right. Yeah, I think that's a powerful message. You know, how many of us have maybe faced that prospect of death, a serious operation or an accident or what have you? And what is our reaction? Or um, if we just take a moment each day, and the saints encourage this, take a moment each day to reflect, someday you will die. You know, the Desert Fathers have this wonderful saying, Someday you will die. And there's nothing wrong. This is nothing uh, morbid uh, suggesting that we take a moment each day and think about that last uh, day, those last hours. Where will we be spiritually? What will we be thinking about? What will be most important? That should be what's most important to us now. And, of course, for her, it was that relationship with her Lord. Right. And here she got a double portion. You know, when we think of Elijah and the double portion, here she had almost died from diphtheria and now um, the appendicitis. So she had two occasions to really go through this. So she's becoming an expert. I mean, she's got more practice at it than the rest of us. You know, I was taken by one other um, comment uh, 
that she makes later when she's uh, recovered from the operation and returns to boarding school, which was not a good experience for well, her. At least not at the beginning. At the yeah. end, though. At, at the, the end, end she better. loves it. And yeah. She doesn't want to leave. Uh, but I think it was hard for her to leave the family. Yeah. You know. But, of course, that was a good preparation for her to uh, prepare to live in Carmel. But, yeah, she, what, she wants the school she, to burn she, down, right? <laughs> yeah. She characterizes the boarding school, it says here, as a jail or a dungeon. Yeah, and she wants it to burn down. I thought, oh, my kids can relate to Teresa the Andes with that one. Speaking like a true Carmelite, isn't she? <laughs> you know, I couldn't help but remember uh, uh, St. John of the Cross and his uh, experience of being uh, put in the tower, of course, during the uh, the time that he and Teresa were trying to reform the order. And uh, we won't go through all the details. It is available on one of our earlier programs, though, if you want to look it up. Where he's but, imprisoned in the tower, yeah. Yeah. And St. Paul, we talked about this, I think it was last uh, program, Francis, where we talked about, you know, in many of our great saints, there appears to be this prison experience where we get locked away. And we could go into a a brief discussion about St. Therese and how uh, she thinks of um, the Lord as the prisoner of love, right? Yes. Uh, So there's a great story. There's a great sort of poetic theme that runs through this idea of prisons. We should not always think of prisons as a bad thing. Oftentimes, they are representative, symbolically representative of the Lord pulling us out of the world and putting us in that place where we have no choice but to seek him, but to find him. And I'll ask this question to keep with this poetic theme to our listeners. If any of you ever felt like you've been in that situation, maybe the circumstances of your life have been so overwhelming and you've said to yourself, I feel imprisoned by by the trials and the tribulations. That may well be the Lord just saying, well, what are your options here? It appears you only have one option, and that's to turn to me. Right. Uh, so and it, it may not be the worst thing. Right. And Teresa the Andes would say, it's an our, our opportunity to suffer with joy, yeah. which leads right into suffering. Yeah. And in the book on page 207, she's saying that Jesus is telling her he wants her to suffer with joy. Okay, so how do you get to that point? Well, she says... Well, number one, suffering pleases me first because Jesus always preferred suffering from his birth till his death on the cross. So it must be pretty, pretty good if Jesus prefers it. And he's the all powerful one and he seeks suffering in all things. So, okay, she's going to follow him. Number two, she says, uh, suffering pleases me because in the crucible of suffering, souls are formed. It's like, you don't know what kind of soul you have unless you've been put to the test. And I remember reading something and, and one of the characters said, you know, what does that guy know? What has he suffered? And I'm like, ooh, good point, you know, touche. And finally, um, Teresa the Andes loves suffering because Jesus sends this gift to her and because he sends it to those whom he most loves. And I remember somebody coming up to me one time several years ago. And my kids were very little, and I was suffering about something. I don't know what it was, but I, it could have been a headache. I don't know. But anyway, this person says, oh, the dear Lord must really love you. <laughs> I guess I complained about a headache for many times with this person or something. And I'm like, what does she mean? You know, and so it's taken me many years to understand it is, this. It's a very difficult lesson. You know, we talk about it, Francis, because it's something we're very familiar with in Carmel. And I appreciate it as I'm listening to you. I um, I hope that our our listeners are are aware. Uh, this is a very mature degree of spirituality that we're discussing. Certainly, even at a young age, Teresa the Andes had already reached that level. But um, this idea that we not only accept suffering, uh, 
And we don't seek it. I, I want to clarify. Right. We don't seek it. It is not because that's where the, the, uh, you know, our individual will begins to take over, or at least we run the risk of deception. Now, this isn't to say, uh, and we had this brief discussion on the break. This isn't to say that we shouldn't practice asceticism, that we shouldn't practice denial, that we shouldn't mortifications, uh, try, mortifications, that we shouldn't try to overcome our will by accepting penances. Those are perfectly legitimate practices within reason and usually through conversation with a spiritual director. Uh, but we're talking about uh, the willing acceptance of the difficulties and the trials that come to us in everyday life. This is the trick. I mean, people think I, I have to run away to a monastery or I have to do something fantastic for the Lord. I, 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 I challenge any one of our listeners to look back on the last year and find where they didn't uh, have multiple experiences throughout the course of a week or a month uh, in which they were called upon to accept the simple trials and tribulations of everyday life. And if you do so in a loving way, if you accept that in um, compassion and in concert with our Lord as he suffered on the cross, then we literally love that evil out of the world. That's how it works. I like that. It's, it's, you know, there's nothing magical to this. You know, I've said so many times that the, the, with the, the uh, gentleman who may be caring for an ailing spouse, I believe heals the the uh, the young widow's loss of a husband that love i believe the parent who cares for that ailing child heals the broken relationship between a parent and a child in another family that's how it works there's really nothing you know particularly complicated about this and as you say all the time francis it just it's love it just comes back to love mm-hmm. and our suffering in love is the most powerful expression of that as evidenced by our lord's suffering in love but she gives us some other counsel here. I want you to read that, the the eyes and ears and oh, so forth. Yeah. Oh, yes, I like this. Um, well, she found something in a copy book about, um, it was called My Mirror. And she responded, my mirror must be Mary. Given that I'm her daughter, I must resemble her, and thus I must resemble Jesus. I must love only Jesus. And now she goes into how she's going to do that. She says, hence, my heart must hold the seal of God's love. My eyes must be fixed on Jesus crucified. My ears must constantly attend to the voice of the divine crucified one. My tongue must tell him my love. My feet must walk to Calvary. Consequently, my pace must be slow and devout. My hands must embrace the crucified, which is to say that the divine image must be impressed on my heart. Mm. You know, she goes on uh, a little bit later in her diary to express this need to uh, participate in our Lord's saving work. And she's just given us a list of practical ways of doing that. Uh, but a little bit later on, she starts with this sentence, and I want our listeners to listen very, very carefully to this first sentence that she that she offers because it's very important for those of you. And I, again, I'll I'll call on our listeners to think about. Um, you know, I, I, you may say to yourself or find yourself thinking, "Well, I'm just a simple person. I live a simple life. I, you know, it's all I can do maybe to get to mass a few days a week, or uh, I don't have a spectacular job, or I don't have a lot of money, or I don't have, you know, the means to uh, to have an, a big impact on the church. I don't speak well. I don't write well. I don't have any of these other uh, gifts and attributes and so forth. And we can find ourselves sort of getting lost in a self evaluation." But this simple, less than 20-year-old saint 
who never really traveled extensively, didn't write extensively besides this diary and the letters, has this statement to make about every single one of us. She says, I see that my vocation is very great to save souls, to give workers to the vineyard of Christ. In comparison with the value of one soul, she says, all the sacrifices we make are small in comparison. God gave his life for them and how we disregard their salvation. As one betrothed to him, I must thirst for souls and offer my espouse the blood he shed for each of them. And what are the means of gaining these souls? Now, here's the the kicker, if you will. Here's the, the final statement. She says at the beginning, I see that my vocation is great. And then she says, what are the means for gaining these these souls who are so important? Prayer, mortification, and suffering. Right. Which one of us don't participate in that ministry every single day? Or don't, rather, have the opportunity to? That's right. We all do. Right? We all have that We all have our challenges, our sufferings, our opportunities for mortification, and certainly, as we know in Carmel, the central charism to our uh, order is prayer. So every one of us, she says, has a great vocation. What is represented in our daily lives, in our re- occupations, in our reputation, in our accomplishments on a worldly um, level are really, they really pale in comparison to our central vocation, and that is prayer, suffering, and love. Right. And you know, later on, she goes on to say, um, what means do you need in order to climb this road? or this mount of perfection. And she lists three things. She says, Jesus has made me understand that to come to perfection, three things are necessary. First, a love of prayer. So there we have prayer again. Second, complete detachment from self. You know, And basically, that's what Teresa Vavla says, keep your eyes on Jesus. And then you won't be looking at yourself, right? If you're looking at yourself, you're not looking at Jesus. Yeah, this is a, this is a higher level of detachment, too, and we should emphasize this. She doesn't say detachment from the world, right? Right. Detachment from the world is presumed here. In other words, I'm not you know, totally wrapped up in, in uh, the material possessions. That's a given. I'm not wrapped up in my reputation. I'm not wrapped up even in my do-goodedness, right? We can get... Uh, wrapped up in that sometimes what she is saying and it's important here is a detachment from self so that self no longer becomes sort of the central theme of our individual lives and whether we like it or not the reality is for most of us still and it's quite human so accept it <laughs> we are the center of our universe it's just the way we operate and we need she, new glasses <laughs> <laughs> and what she's saying is we've got to remove ourselves from that and we can't do it on our own francis right we need god we all need god well the third thing she says is perfect surrender of self and that's your willingness to give yourself to god because you know he's got our best interest at heart he created us he loves us infinitely and he's a compassionate god that will stoop down to lift us up from our wretchedness and so how could you help but not love him if only you knew him so of course he wants you to know him so that you may surrender to him and be in his well, what better place to be? Now, she also gives some practical um, examples of this movement away from self, this detachment to self. She says, how is this found? Through humiliations, 
We experience humiliation. Everybody does. It happens every day. It happened to me about two hours ago, Francis. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not going to go into it. <laughs> but in, in accepting that, in dealing with it, in loving through that, both ourself, because we know we're flawed and fallen human beings and we're going to fall, and also accepting the one who may be the source of that humiliation. Pain, she says. And, of course, charity toward our neighbor. Teresa Vavila told us, charity above all things, right? She even absolved us from the responsibility for prayer if it meant we were going to practice charity towards someone, which, in her mind, of course, was simply a manifestation of that prayer. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't find time to pray or shouldn't find time to pray. Absolutely, we have to. But charity, the act of charity toward our neighbor, um, is critically important in this, and it builds on virtue. Now, I want to test you here, Francis. Uh Uh-oh. This is a very mature... Um, theology that we've just read. This is not for the faint of heart, as we say. Right. This must be written by a person in their 50s, right? Isn't it? <laughs> She's putting us to shame. <laughs> I'm, how, I'm just a little one. <laughs> God will help me. <laughs> how old was our young saint when she wrote this? Um, I think she was 17. Yes, Only 17, 17 years of age. But, but look, you know, tragedy has a way of maturing you. And, of course... Uh, she had made a vow at age 15 uh, to be only for Jesus, and she would renew it like every nine days or so until they gave her permission to do it longer. But um, So she is very in tune, and of course, you know, she is talking to the Lord. She has those wonderful uh, communion experiences, and so God is teaching her, but he teaches all of us. And in the way that we most can respond. And so the question is not what God's doing, because he's doing. It's just we're not perceiving. We're not opening. We're not praying. We're not looking at him. We're not paying attention to him. Right. You know, we had this brief conversation before we came on the air, and I said what I found remarkable, and I had to keep going back and checking the dates and reminding myself that these these, you know, uh, comments in her diary, these reflections in her diary were being written at the age of 16, 17, at the most 18 uh, for most of her diary. Of course, she died at 19 years and nine months. And there are some uh, latter um, uh, entries, but in, 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 entries into the diary. But, you know, the, the lion's share of her uh, understanding of this relationship with the Lord was in her 16th, 17th and 18th year of life and are reflected in the diary. And I I challenged myself to think, well, what was I thinking at that age? And what's important is that we have to realize this was a very simple woman. I mean, in fairness, she she certainly had a very full life. She was exposed to a number of things. She had good education, all the rest of it. But she didn't have a lot of life's experiences. And I don't mean that in a positive way. In other words, she didn't have a lot of those distractions, a lot of those things that over the course of you know, uh, a longer life, we've sort of built up in our experience of life in what is now embedded in our memory, uh, which we know is healed through the virtue of hope, uh, the the, uh, theological virtue of hope. But she didn't have a lot of that. She kept herself very focused from a very young age. What's the lesson? For us, it means we've got to return to that simplicity. We've got to return to that silence. We've got to dispense with these distractions that draw us away from our center. And we're, you know, absolutely barraged by them every day through television and radio and newspaper and friends and relationships. I'm not saying that we have to eliminate all of that, but we have to seek our center 
in silence. It kind of reminds me of a story of Therese. This one novice was telling Therese, oh, I've got so many virtues to uh, work toward and to earn and do. And um, uh, Therese is like, no, you've got that to lose. (laughs) In order, you know, simplify, get rid of the stuff that's not important. Get rid of the stuff that doesn't keep your eyes focused on Christ. And then, you know, that that helps you be on the right path much, much easier. But now uh, we know that St. Teresa of Jesus of the Andes had a love for Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. And I know that is one of your most favorite Carmelites. So what did she learn from Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity? Well, she says, actually, in her diary, I'm reading, she says, from Elizabeth of the Most Holy Trinity, the Discalced Carmelite nun of uh, the Carmel of Dijon. Uh, And uh, John Paul actually brought this up uh, during uh, St. Teresa of the Andes' beatification. Uh, this very passage from her diary, she says, She enchants me. Her soul is like mine. Though she was a saint, I'll imitate her and become a saint. I want to live with Jesus in the intimate depths of my soul. I want to defend him from his enemies. I want to live a life of heaven, as as Elizabeth says, by being a praise of his glory. And, and then, then she, she does the seven resolutions here. I just love her list. So you got to get the book so you can read the list here. By living a divine life, by loving God with a pure love, by giving myself to him without reservation, by living an intimate communion with the spouse of my soul, by fulfilling the will of God in all things. How, she says, simply by fulfilling my obligations joyfully, at every moment, she is the saint of joy. Nothing must disturb me. All must be peace, like the peace that inundates the angels in heaven. It's funny she says that because when she dies, they say she has this angelic face, and they refer to her as an angel. <laughs> By living in silence, she goes on, because in this way the Holy Spirit will draw forth for me the harmonious sounds, and the Father, together with the Spirit, will form the image of the Word in me. By suffering, since Christ suffered his whole life and was it the praise of the glory of his Father, I'll suffer with joy for my sins and for sinners. By living a life of faith, by considering all things from a supernatural point of view, by reflecting Christ as in a mirror in our actions. And of course, when you think of Mary and how she referred to Mary in that mirror. By living in a continual state of thanksgiving. This is important for so many of us today, isn't it? To be right. giving thanks uh, for what the Lord is doing. Attitude of gratitude. Exactly. <laughs> that our thoughts, desires, and acts may be a perpetual thanksgiving. Living in continual adoration like the angels by repeating, holy, holy, holy. And since we can't be constantly in prayer, she says, at least let's renew our intention before each exercise throughout the day. And thus we will become a praise of glory. Elizabeth's Elizabeth's motto. (laughs) Exactly. She did have a great, um, I think, appreciation for uh, Elizabeth's writings and and the theology that Elizabeth uh, expressed in her own uh, writing, some of which we've covered in a previous series, Francis. I want to go on to um, her favorite prayer. Uh, oh, this, this is one of my favorites, prayer. too. Well, because she had a devotion to the Sacred Heart, does it surprise you that her favorite ejaculatory prayer was, Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make my heart like unto thine own. So um, I would even say you could go further and say, uh, Jesus, give me your heart so that I can love you with your love. Every day throughout the course of the day, you know, we should pick 
if we if it's only one, pick a single. Uh, and of course, ejaculatory prayer has to do with uh, you know periodically we just utter this, and and ideally a hundred times a day we should be uttering this short prayer. Like Jesus, Mary, Joseph, I love you. Save souls. Save souls. Uh, pick one. Um, and, and perhaps a couple, if you prefer, you want to vary it up a little bit and just constantly say these throughout the course of the day. I'll tell you what will happen. You'll find yourself waking up in the middle of the night saying them. Inevitably, that's what will happen. I want to give her, um, quick synopsis of the Carmelite life. And then Francis, I'd like us to close by you giving her resolutions or at least some of them. She says here in her diary again, the life of the Carmelite, and this would not be limited to, um, uh, purely those living in the Carmel. This is true for us as well, Francis, and all of our listeners. The life of the Carmelite is reduced to this, to live, to attain the most perfect union with God, and to totally immolate and sacrifice herself in all things, since sacrifice is nothing other than an oblation of love. Echoing uh, Therese there. Let's hear her resolutions, just uh, some of those, and then All we'll right. close in prayer. Uh, she's got 12 of them, but I'll, I'll mention a few here. Of course, the first one is to live only for God with her thoughts fixed in him, living completely hidden in him. Uh, two, to be faithful to all that Jesus asks of me. Three, to keep the silence rigorously. Four, to live in the present moment with faith. Five, never to laugh or make signs to my dear sisters during the day. <laughs> that sounds like a teenager. Um, six, uh, have great dominion over myself so as to always be cheerful um, without transgressing the limits of religious modesty. Seven, to consider our mother superior like a tabernacle where Jesus is exposed and my little sisters as hosts where Jesus dwells in a hidden way. Uh, she goes on, never show that I'm suffering, never seek consolation in anyone, always to consider myself as the despicable. In fact, she called herself a criminal nothingness. And in the bottom line is strive to do what I believe is the most perfect, like Teresa Vavla did, the vow of perfection. A, a high uh, ideal to live up to, but of course we know this is never something we could do on our own. It's only through prayer, seeking our, our Father's will, accepting what comes into our life, and then looking for the guidance of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to do in prayer. Yes, let's have this final prayer. It's the Novena Prayer to St. Teresa of Jesus of the Andes. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, you chose St. Teresa of Jesus of the Andes to show people the joy of knowing and loving you. She consecrated her life to your love and reflected in her countenance the beauty of your divine face. You also asked her to spread the joyful message of the gospel, and she spent her young life living the gospel of love. We ask you, Lord, that her canonization by the church may serve to exalt your name and to bring her message of faith and love, of joy and hope to everyone, especially those most in need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, Amen. thank you again. You've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Until next week, God bless. You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations.